0: Amen. You can grab a seat. Thank you, worship team. My expectations are just through the roof right now. That we're singing songs like that, that we're lifting up praise like that. And just to be able to stand in this space and preach the gospel on Reformation Sunday, it's 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 humbling and it's also sobering to some of the realities that we're going to be talking about today. We're starting a brand new series, and it's called Make Disciples. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, "Make a disciple, make a disciple"? I love that all of our kids' t shirts say "Raising Tiny Disciples." It's one of my favorite parts about showing up here on a Sunday, and in Birmingham, you see that as well. Those light blue shirts just reminding us of what we're doing, that formation happens over time. And the goal is not to grow converts or churchgoers. The goal is that people would become fully committed, radical disciples of Jesus. And so it shouldn't surprise you that this is what we're talking about because we've been in the Remnant series, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and the whole goal was God transform us from being consumers of Jesus's merit to being disciples of Jesus's way. The whole goal of that was that we would no longer think of Jesus as get-out-of-hell-free card, a prayer that I prayed at vacation Bible school so that everyone can feel better at my funeral, so I can feel better about the things that I know nothing about, and just sort of this religion that I ascribe to and this service that I attend once a week. No, no, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a fully committed disciple and to say, I want my whole life to be built around his way of life. And so we've been praying that, and we've been believing that, and I truly believe that the greatest threat to the church in the United States of America, and I do not say this lightly, the greatest threat to the church in the United States of America is not COVID. It's not anybody on the right side or the left side politically. It's not China or Russia or the Taliban. I believe this wholeheartedly, and this is how we're leading moving forward. I believe the greatest threat to the church in the United States of America is a low bar for discipleship. It's a low bar for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's that we have assured people for too long that they are followers of Jesus when, in fact, they're not. But even more importantly and more tragically, they don't even know what that would look like. That That we've kind of guaranteed them this place in the family of God. And we haven't clarified, hey, this is what the word disciple means. And this is what you're actually signing up for. And I think for too long, we've tried to have these really emotional moments to sort of magnetically pull people into a relationship with Jesus. And what I see in the scriptures is him more often than not kind of warning people what it's going to cost. Like, Hey, are you sure you're ready to do this? Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Well, I got to kind of try to talk you out of that. Foxes have holes and, and, and there's these dens for other people. Yet the son of man has no place to rest his head. You sure you want to follow me? Like you might not have a place to sleep. And so Jesus, I see this in his life again and again, and I see, as I look back on a very, very short time in ministry, I see how harmful a false sense of security under the umbrella of Jesus' blood can cause. And I don't say that lightly. Jesus' blood is a big deal. I just think from a leadership perspective, we have guaranteed people a place in the family of God far too easily. And we've set the bar extremely low for what it means to be a disciple. And so we move on from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And now we're actually going to look at the very last words Jesus says before he ascends into heaven, after he's already risen from the grave, after he's already been with his disciples for 40 days in a resurrected body. And we're going to go straight there. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. Come on, 8 a.m., hold it up. Man, y'all are amazing. Special rewards in heaven, not just for attending, but for getting your Bible this early. My man's over here and he's dressed as a parking cone. And so I can't do the single person Bible drill for your sake. Okay. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew. Oh, you're like, oh, I'll go on a date with him. See, now I did him a favor. All right. And if you need a title for this sermon, it's simply titled the great commission, the great commission. We're going to talk about the last words of Jesus. He's risen from the dead. There's a lot of disorientation about what to do with his resurrection. He's appeared to many people. He has demonstrated physically that he was in a resurrected body. So you need to know this. When Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't floating around like a ghost appearing to people in dreams and visions. He was physically allowing people to touch him. He was eating food. Read Luke's account of the resurrection. He was hanging out at events. Now, part of you and part of me read that and we go, wow, that's, that's absolutely unbelievable that that happened. But I think it's so important to think of it this way because this is our hope for resurrection ultimately, that Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, has actually set into motion how you and I will live forever. So every time I get up here and I go, hey, you know you're going to live forever in a resurrected body. It's like a resurrected form of the body that you're living in right now. And you're like, where are you getting that from? Jesus. He's literally the one who paves the way for how we are going to live eternally if we share in him. But he gives us this command as his last moment before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start in verse 16. If you're there, say I'm there. There. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. You need to mark that down. When Jesus rose from the dead and appeared physically for 40 days, in front of people who saw him alive, dead, and now alive again, still some doubt it. And some of you in here who doubt whether or not the the resurrection of Jesus is a real thing, you doubt Christianity, you're not really a follower of Jesus, there's a part of you that thinks if you just had a time machine and you could follow along with the events physically, that you would believe. But faith is the result of the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to what's right in front of you. You got people who are there who don't even believe what they're seeing physically. The solution to someone who doubts is not more physical evidence. The solution to someone who doubts is the Holy Spirit, a supernatural act of opening their eyes. And we trust God to do that on his time. You don't ever need to feel the pressure to prove to anyone that Jesus is who he says he is. You give them all the resources and you pray and you pray and you pray, but it is God who opens people's eyes. Still some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a huge statement. The shift that happened before and after the cross was an authority shift from a heavenly perspective. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that's not a statement that he makes during his earthly life. In fact, you find out during his earthly life that when he's tempted by the enemy... The devil claims authority over the kingdoms of the world. Did you notice that when the devil tempts Jesus? He's like, I've, I've been given all of this, and I give it where I will, and I will actually give you something if you do something according to my will when he tries to tempt Jesus after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But now there's the shift that's happened in our story, and now Jesus is claiming to have all authority in heaven and on earth. Here's the shift that happens when Jesus rises from the dead. The kingdom of God has now come on planet Earth, and it has exceeded the kingdom of darkness in power and authority. It means wherever the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus goes out, the darkness must flee. This is good news. Jesus is going, now you get the opportunity to participate as a conduit of my kingdom. And here's what, here's what we have for the last 2,000 years. For the last 2,000 years, we have the kingdom of God taking new ground from the darkness and the enemy running for his life. He's lying at an increasing rate. He is scared. He knows his time is short. And when when your Savior makes a promise like that, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that's one you need to circle and repeat to yourself. Because the news cycle will tempt you to not believe it. Social media will tempt you to not believe it. Your own sin will tempt you to not believe it. And Jesus is going, I've got all of the authority, but Because I'm in a position of authority, it's not just about what I've come to accomplish in victory over the darkness, it's about you being invited to participate in it, but not just invited to participate in it, commanded to. Some of you have read the Great Commission in the past and you think it's kind of a suggestion for what you might could do with your time if you get bored. This is a commandment from the supreme ruler of the universe who says, this is why you're alive if you're my disciple. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this is one of the most brilliant things ever uttered by the Son of God. Because if your eyes are open to see what I'm about to teach, I think it will will awaken you to a new level of following Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples is not just Jesus' plan to evangelize and save the world. It's also Jesus' plan to disciple and grow you in the process. There's a double meaning to the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples. And as you go, it will be in your going that you are actually discipled. And so we use a word like disciple and discipleship. And in the church world in 2021, I know we have a tendency to hear that word and think program. We think Bible reading plan. We think meeting with someone, we think new initiatives, we think church programs, and here's what we got to do, and here's all the checklists, the points that we need to make. But instead of that typical approach, here's what I read Jesus saying. I read him saying all of those things work themselves out in the context of obeying the great commission, which is this, go and make disciples. And if you go and make disciples, guess what? I'll go and make a disciple out of you. Here's a better way of saying it, and you can write this down. God's primary way to make you a disciple of Jesus is for you to make disciples of Jesus. God's primary way of discipling you is for you to go and make disciples. And so in the coming years, you're going to hear a lot about reading scripture. You're going to hear from us a lot about your own prayer life, about fasting, about spiritual disciplines, about Sabbath, about all these things that we do to walk in the way of Jesus. But here's the thing. Those things are not just a therapeutic list of behaviors that you do so you become a better followers of Jesus. Those things all find their rightful place in the context of living your life on mission and making disciples of other people. I have found in my life personally, I stagnate in my relationship with God the moment I start to ignore this command. And my relationship with Jesus goes to new levels of intimacy and understanding when I actually do what he told me to do. give you an example. I was 23 years old. I had just gone into full-time ministry, graduated from college, jumped into a job as a youth pastor. And I was kind of discouraged by how when you go into ministry, you can kind of insulate yourself and not be around anyone who's lost anymore. And I was like, man, all I'm around is like Christians and church people all the time. And it was like making me, I didn't, I didn't really know this at the time, but it was making my soul kind of shrivel up and I'm not really experiencing the power of God. I'm not really going to deeper levels of intimacy like I was when I didn't work in the church world. And I was like, I wonder why that is. Then all of a sudden I got a Facebook message from a guy who I legitimately had not seen since I was in the eighth grade. And I mean, I mean the only reason why he, he even got in touch with me was because we knew each other back then. And he said, Hey, I don't even know if you're going to get this message. I'm on Barrett Parkway, which is where my old church was in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. I'm driving by. I, I saw on Facebook that you work at this church now. And I remember in middle school that you love Jesus and I need help. And I got my cousin with me and he, he doesn't even know it, but he needs help too. And uh, can we come meet with you? If you're, I mean, literally haven't talked to this guy since eighth grade. Here I am, college graduate. And I'm like, sure. They, they come up to my office at this church lost as all get out. Like, I mean, they know nothing about the Bible. They know nothing about God. All they know is that nothing that they're trying is working, and they want to learn. And so, and so in that moment, I give them a Bible, and they're like, we have no idea where to begin. We don't know how to navigate this. And I'm like, okay, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet twice a week. We're going to walk verse by verse through the book of Romans, and, and they're like, where's that? Like, I have no idea what Romans is, and we're going to meet at Chick-fil-A, which is where you should meet if you're making disciples, because God's there. And so we met. Twice a week, and here's what I found. Teaching these guys step-by-step step, how to walk with Jesus forced me to walk with Jesus. It was crazy. It was like where I would normally stagnate in my Bible reading, I couldn't because I knew I had to teach people who didn't know. And we're walking verse-by-verse, verse, and I'm going, I've got to be able to explain this. I better study it. I, I I got to be able to speak into all these areas of their lives. And I watched how these two guys eventually We're both baptized in the church and both over time, every single week, their knowledge of who God is, is growing and growing and growing. But here's the thing. It wasn't just about them being discipled. It was that in the process, I was going deeper in my relationship with God because I was doing what Jesus called me to do. When you make disciples, you are made into a disciple. And part of the reason why the vast majority of us are not growing in our relationship with God is because we're ignoring the commandment that we were given at the very end of the story. Do you see this? You're, you're going, I'm, I'm struggling to grow and I need a new Bible study and I need a new sermon and I need a new song. We always jump to new content and new emotional experiences. But could it be that you've gotten so obese in your relationship with God that you actually need to work it out by making another disciple? And, and, and I know some of you hear me say that, and you're like, that, that type of thing of like sitting somewhere and teaching someone the Bible verse by verse is nowhere near what I'm ready to do. Okay, I understand that, and that's what we're going to be talking through in this series. But here's the thing. Many of you have spent decades taking up a seat in a church without ever taking a seat across from another individual to help grow them in their own relationship with God. And the reason why you're so intimidated about it now is because nobody called you to do it back then. And so we might as well start right now going, this is where we have to go. This is who you have to be. And this is actually how you grow. We don't listen to receive. We listen to reproduce. And so if you just come here and you're like, I'm here to receive. I hope the word is good today. I hope the worship is good today. Listen, so do I. I love receiving. But receiving without reproduction leads to unhealth. And so if all it is is consumption, 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 but no working it out in real time, you'll notice, oh, I'm not growing. And could it be that what Jesus has commanded us to do is actually the breakthrough he's given us to walk in every day of our relationship with him? We got to learn how to make disciples. And here's what's so great about Jesus. When he gives you a command, he always tells you how. He's a clear teacher. He's a practical teacher. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not always easy to figure out what he's saying to do practically, but if you read this one close enough, this one's very easy. Look at it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow. How do you make a disciple? Two things, baptizing them and teaching them. And that's where most of you go, yeah, I'm out. See, I'm not going to baptize anybody. I'll leave that up to you. And I don't even know what I think about all of our baptism Sundays, which we have another one coming up in two weeks, and it's going to be absolutely incredible. It's going to be awesome. But you're like, I don't, how do I participate in that? Isn't that the role of the church? No, no, no. We are the church. And so there's something about your presence in the life of another human being that leads to them wanting to get baptized. And when, we, when you hear baptism, you can't just think dunked underwater at a church service you got to think immersed and joined with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Does your life move other human beings to, like closer to wanting to do that? And all of us contribute in the process. When you're here in two weeks, you're going to hear story after story of the faithfulness of God. But it's not just going to be, I showed up by myself at ACC, the sermon was exactly what I needed to hear, now I'm here to get baptized. In fact, I would argue you're not going to hear that story at all in two weeks. It's all going to be stories of relationships from all over the map in someone's life that led them to this moment of the faithfulness of God that's come to full fruition. And you're going, wow, disciples are made through the contribution of real people. Baptizing them in the name, I love that singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, plural. That God is one, three persons, and that we share in the, watch this, to be a Christian is to share in the interpersonal communion and love of the Trinity. That to be in relationship with God is to walk by the power of the Spirit, united to Jesus, in a relationship with your Heavenly Father as a child of God. How do I know if I'm a disciple of Jesus? Does your presence in other people's lives lead them to doing that? Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. I've never noticed this until this week. Jesus didn't say teaching them to believe everything I taught. He said teaching them to obey. The important thing is not that we teach doctrine that people ascribe to and check off the box. The important thing is that we're actually teaching people to obey the commands of our rabbi because we are disciples. And before you write that off and go, I'm not a teacher, I don't know what I could even contribute, I'm telling you, I would argue above and beyond the greatest temptations of your flesh right now, above and beyond that drinking thing or that sex thing or that thing you got from your past or that crazy thing that's going on between you and your mom or that whatever thing that you think, this is the number one lie the enemy is causing me to believe. Could it be that the greatest lie the enemy got away with in your life is that you have nothing to contribute in the area of discipleship? That you're going, that's for somebody else. I'm disqualified from that. Because he knows that will keep you from growing in all the other areas. And Jesus says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And then the last reason I want to tell you not to write off that commandment is this. The reason why you are here is because someone obeyed this great commission. The reason why we're even in church today. Because real people took this seriously, serious enough to give their lives. Yeah. It was Tertullian who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. People didn't just like get uncomfortable enough to have a hard conversation in church history. They died for this gospel to go out. Like, if, if people were willing to lay down their lives that you might know, that you might be baptized, that you might be taught... Our discomfort with actually having to activate our faith is not an argument that's going to be enough and we got to step into the more. So he's told us, what, what does he want us to do? Make disciples. How does he want us to do it? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But we haven't talked about who and why. And Jesus will always go deeper, especially as he's giving this all-important command called the Great Commission, and I want you to read this one more time. Let's read it again. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Now, this is where this sermon's going to flip a little bit. It's going to flip from me calling you out individually to us looking at the Big C Church collectively. Because Jesus drops a term here that in isolation looks a little bit confusing and impossible, but in the grand narrative of the Bible, it makes perfect sense. He says, make disciples of all nations. Not all your neighbors, not all your family members, but all nations. And you read that in English and you hear like countries, nations, you know, all over the world, flags. But what this means is like the Greek word ethne, it means people groups. Groups of people with a common culture, a common language, and a common history. And Jesus is going, here's the goal. You take what I've entrusted to you, and it's got to go to every group of people on the planet. And when you read this in the Great Commission, it makes very little sense that Jesus would drop that phrase unless you look at it in the grand narrative of the Bible. Then you find out this is what God has been building up to all along throughout the story of the Scriptures. So if you don't know anything about the Bible, Genesis to Revelation is something that you have to grow to understand. I've been recommending to our staff reading 30 Days to Understanding Your Bible by Max Anders. And and, and I've been a little obnoxious with it. I'm walking around because I'm going, these people are paid by the church to work here. They need to know the arc of the scripture and what each book means. So I just walk up to our staff and I ask a hard question. I'm like, hey, tell me about Nehemiah. Where did that fit in the historical context of the grand story of the scriptures and how is that significant based on the life of Jesus? Like, tell them. You're like, whoa, we're so glad we don't work for you. Yeah, you are. Um, but I'm like, if you don't know this, you need to read this, you need to understand this. But there's this, there's this theme of the Bible that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I can't even get all the way into each one of these things as much as I want to. But in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve sin, God brings like a holy restart with the story of Noah And then he chooses a nation. And when he selects Father Abraham and makes a covenant with him, I want you to look at what he says. You don't gotta turn there because we're gonna sprint through several verses. Genesis chapter 12, verses two through three says this. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's initial choosing of Abraham and the nation of Israel is for the purpose of every people group on the planet being blessed by what God has done for this group of people. And you follow the Ark of Scripture and you see this all through the narrative of the life of Joseph. You see this in the story of Moses. You see this in Joshua and Judges. And you see this leading up to the kingdom period in the life of David. Look at Psalm chapter 67, it says this. This is one of the most famous psalms about the gospel going out to the nations. May God be gracious to us, who's us? Israel, and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. This is, this is what your Bible is all about. God blessing a nation, Israel so that the glory of God could spread and be a blessing to every nation and people group on planet earth. And you don't just see this in Psalms. You don't just see this in Genesis. You see this in every book. You see it leading up to Daniel, who has all these crazy visions of the end times. Look at Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one, like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Side note, what's Jesus' favorite name for himself? The son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, which is a cool name for God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, here it is, glory and sovereign power, great commission. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is Daniel. Before Jesus, trying to make sense of this vision he's having, he's like, it's a son of man coming to the ancient of days, God the Father. And it seems to me that the purpose of all this is that the dominion and kingdom of this son of man would spread to every people group and nation and tribe in the world. And this is just a preview of what you see in Revelation, which is another preview of how the story ends. Look at Revelation chapter 7. After this, I look, this is John, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see it? Jesus is not coming out of nowhere in the Great Commission going, I think I wanna take this thing viral. I, I think I wanna to go to all nations now. I don't just want Israel, I want all of them. Yo, this is a story. Genesis to Revelation, this is about God who's a heavenly father wanting a kingdom for his son to reach and bless all nations on planet earth. So when you read the Great Commission, I would would give a, a second name to the Great Commission. I would call it the Great Invitation. This is God inviting you into the story that he's writing on planet earth. This is not just a command from your rabbi who's like, it would be a good idea if you were to make disciples. This is him going, hey, you want to get in on the reason you exist? You want to get in on something bigger than just your story and your individual glory and your individual outcome? The story I'm writing from the beginning of time into forever is this, make disciples of all nations. And so I called you out individually on how we're doing at Make Disciples But now I want to kind of call us out collectively and look at, okay, what are we as a church, not just Little C Church, Auburn Community Church, but like Big C Church, how are we doing on this? There are an estimated right now in the world 24,000 people groups. Like I said, that's common language, common history, common culture, 24,000 of those. And to this day, about 17,000 have been reached with the gospel message of Jesus. And before that makes you sad that we haven't reached the other 7,000, can we talk about how the Great Commission was given to a random group of people in obscurity? It's a big deal that in 2,000 years, we've been able to reach 17,000 people groups with the message of Jesus, including our own. It's been a miracle that the Bible is translated in as many languages as it's translated in. You don't just look at the work that's undone. You celebrate what God has done so far to be faithful to his name. 17,000 people groups reached, and that leaves... 7,000 people groups in 2021 are currently unreached. Now, let me clarify. Unreached doesn't mean they're not Christian. Okay, it's not like your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus. Oh, they're unreached. I need to reach them. No, 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 no. They might not be a Christian, but they are reached. They're reached because you're there. They have access to the gospel. They have access to a local church. They have access to the Bible. They are 100% reached. Unreached means no message of Jesus, They will live and they will die without ever hearing the good news that Jesus died to save sinners from an eternity separated from God and invite them to participate in a kingdom that will never end. They'll never hear it, and they have never heard it. 7,000 people groups doesn't really translate or affect us that much, so I'll say it this way. Right now, in our world, that equals 3 billion people have never heard. And unless something changes, they will never hear the message of the gospel. And you might be like, where are you getting all of these sources? Our team has been loading up for months to get ready for this sermon series. We got to go up to Washington, D.C. to be a part of Radical Intensive and David Platt, if you're familiar with his teaching and the group, which he'll be here Tuesday at Ignite Auburn. And I encourage everybody to be a part of that But we got to go there and kind of hear about what God's doing around the world and what's left undone. And my heart was not just burdened by the fact that three billion people have not heard the message of Jesus. It was more burdened by what they would call the great imbalance, which is what are we doing to get the gospel to the three billion unreached peoples? And here's the part that will absolutely rock you. And it has burdened me and literally knocked me to my knees as a pastor. In the church... The church, especially in America, brings in billions and billions of dollars every year and makes decisions about how to redistribute that for buildings, for staff, for helping the local community, for blessing the nations, for doing all these different things. Money goes in all kinds of different directions, right? But in the church, if you look at what the church just gives to missions, so eliminate everything else. What does the church contribute toward missions to people who have never heard the gospel? Now watch this. 99% 99% of what the church gives for the gospel to go out goes out to places that are already reached. And less than 1% goes to get the gospel to people who have never heard it. There's a stat, and this is gonna hurt some of you, and I, and I want it to. There's a stat out this year that Americans will spend more on dressing their pets up tonight than the church will spend on getting the gospel to the unreached this year. goes to places that have already heard it. And on top of that, 97% of our missionaries go to places that have already heard the gospel. Now, that's not to say that that 99% of the money and 97% of the missionaries, it's not to say they're not doing great things. They are. It's just so imbalanced with an ignoring of the people that have never heard that the church has got to rise up and go, not only do I need to do something individually, we need to do something collectively. I wanna I want show you this on the map, just so you can see the scale of all of this. this. This, I feel like a weatherman. This is like, I'm like seeing myself on Birmingham. Are y'all laughing at me? Okay. Um, so just look at this. The red represents unreached. The yellow represents like a, 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 full, a nominal church, like not a strong presence of the gospel. And the green represents, this is where the name of Jesus has been made famous. And there's plenty of access to the message of Jesus. of our money is going to the green and the yellow, and 97% of our missionaries are going to the green and the yellow. And the reason is simple. Look, if you know anything about what's happening in the world, look at the red. It's hard to get there. Money doesn't look as effective there. So our church sponsors over a thousand kids through Compassion International. Amazing. But it's awesome to give money toward a kid growing up in an educational program where you can literally get pictures of the kid growing up. When we we, uh, dug wells and built bathrooms in Ghana, we saw immediately the effect it had on the community there. When we built a new, like doubled the size of our one in Colombia, you see the pictures of it, you see how happy the kids are, you're like, this is awesome. But when you contribute toward getting the gospel to unreached peoples, you don't get a picture back. You don't get a profile of the people who you're giving to because if you did, they might be killed. And we're talking about places that are extremely difficult to get the gospel to and we're talking about something that has become so imbalanced. And so here's what I want you to see. You can put that map away. I wanna somehow try to say both of these things at the same time. As a church, individually, And as part of the Big C Church collectively, we have so much work to do, y'all. This has not been an accident that God has grown a church in Auburn, Alabama in 2021 the way he's grown this one. It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that in our day, God has poured influence and resources and young people and multi-generational movement behind what we are doing here. And it is for both of these things to happen for you to start to make disciples on your own time, in your own everyday life, and for us to gain a heart for God's global story of getting the gospel to people who have never heard it. And I believe we have an opportunity like never before to participate in both at Auburn Community Church. But here's why I'm so burdened. Here's why I'm so burdened. It would be so easy for me to get up here and and get you passionate about people who have never heard the gospel. Like, this is the best news in all the world, that you don't have to be separated from God, that there is hope in the kingdom of God, that there is life. And it's so easy to rile a crowd up and be like, yeah, let's get passionate about the nations. But here's the burden I feel as your pastor. I know some of you, especially the young people, you can get so passionate about that, but you're never gonna get passionate about your neighbor. And so if you don't get passionate about that equally as much as you're passionate about the world, then we're just fooling ourselves and being moved by doing something that's so far outside of our control. It never really causes us to sacrifice. So we've got to do both. We've got to somehow become burdened for making disciples on our own time so that we can become a church that makes disciples of the nations. And this is, this is where we're going, y'all. We talk, about, we talk for months about, hey, are you really a disciple of Jesus? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? It's been building up for this. Why have we been asking that question over and over and over again? Because you can't make a disciple unless you are one. It doesn't make sense to talk about getting the gospel to unreached peoples and getting the gospel to the people you see every day unless the gospel has truly gotten to you. And so I know some of you have been coming to this church for like five years. You're like, when is this guy gonna talk about the nations? When is this guy going to talk about the whole world and when are we going to get serious about all of this stuff? I believe God in his perfect timing has been carefully constructing the group of people who would be here in this moment and clarifying, hey, we're really serious about this Jesus stuff and we're so serious that we're going to give our lives to it right where we live right now. We're not just going to give our lives to doing it here in Auburn, Alabama. It's going to be about the glory of God going out all over the world. And so I got two points before we go today. And they are going to be challenging. It's going to be tough to hear. And it's on both of those grounds, but I believe God's gonna use it. Look at somebody next to you and say, This is good. This is good. Even if it's painful, it's good. Number one, this is a change that I want us to make today. Number one is this repent with action. Repent with action. So, number one is like, what changes do I need to make today? Number one would be the verb turn. Repent means to turn. I need you to legitimately ask the question of whether or not your life is built around fulfilling the Great Commission. Do you believe that you have breath in your lungs to make disciples? And show me that in your schedule. Show me that in your bank account. Show me that in our priorities, and this, this hurts like I am. I'm sick to my stomach saying it out loud, because it's easy for me to do what I do on Sundays under the guise of making disciples but start to ignore it as a discipline in my own life and go, oh, that's where the lack of growth is because I am just as responsible as you are with the calling of the Great Commission to make disciples of people around me. What would it look like if you believed the Great Commission was the greatest calling and the invitation on your life? And how would that be reflected with an immediate turn and making your life about it? This could cause uh, the most humbling moment for the vast majority of you. I don't even wanna say this. Happens every week. Um, Some of you need to take the most humble step of your life and admit, like, come to us, your church leaders, and admit you've been in the church for decades and you have no idea what it means to be a disciple. I know that that hurts. I know that it's gut-wrenching to be like, I went to 10 youth camps and I've served in the church. And if you put me across the table from another individual and said, replicate what God's done in you in their life, I would have no idea where to start. And I would have no, I I know it's humbling and I know it's sad and tragic. Not all of it is your fault, but it is your responsibility what you're going to do from here. And so repenting today would look like coming to your church leadership and going, I have no idea where to begin because you can't make one unless you are one and you got to start somewhere. Turn, two would be pray. We gotta pray toward this end. Best app you can get on your phone is called the Joshua Project. I I keep it on my phone, like right next to uh, email. So instead of checking emails, I check that. Every day they have what's called the unreached people of the day and it'll send you a profile of a group of people on planet Earth who are currently unreached, how you can pray for them, why they are unreached, and sort of doorways into the gospel. On your way out today, you're gonna to be giving a book, given a bookmark to tell you specifically how to pray for people in Afghanistan who we have been supporting financially. And, and this is a big step. Do not negate this one. Do not underestimate this one. This is one of the biggest steps we can take because the countries that we're looking to go after are not places that we can go visit. Okay, you can't put a T-shirt on right now, get on a plane and do a mission trip to Afghanistan, all right? Like, that's probably never going to happen in our lifetime. I would love for God to turn something around and do something, but that's not realistic. And we feel called as ACC to target Afghanistan because, one, we already have partners there. We'd already given money there, but we went to this conference and we heard about this resource called Stratus, which basically ranks countries based on who is in the biggest need spiritually and based on global, like poverty, like physical and spiritual needs, where are the greatest needs? And they rank them, like 50 to one. Number one is the one of highest need. Do you wanna know what the number one country was on the Stratus Index? Afghanistan. Hardest place to reach, most poverty, very difficult. And, and I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like ACC, yeah, that's where we wanna be. We wanna be right there. And so we're praying toward that end. We're believing toward it, but we're also gonna give toward it. Repentance looks like giving. And this is gonna be reflected in where we give our money away, because trust me, that whole 1% stat was super convicting for us. We totally believe in what God is doing in this community, and we believe in what God is doing in other countries all over the world. But we felt the imbalance of going, our funds have to start to go to mobilize and get the gospel where it hasn't before. And the number one place I would recommend you give money to, other than the places that we've been supporting individually so far, is a group called Urgent. Urgent is all about mobilizing indigenous believers who exist in underground house churches right here and right now. So you're like, how how does it, one, even begin the work of reaching unreached peoples? It doesn't begin with Americans going over there and just messing everything up. It begins with supporting the church networks that already exist, and Urgent is a great resource for that that we're gonna get more involved with as we go. We gotta repent with action, that's number one. Number two, live on mission, Live on mission. So number one was changes you need to make today. Number two, changes we need to make for good. How does your job, your time, and your money, and your future fit with the message of the Great Commission? And we've got to get to a place as a church where the two are more congruent, where the two line up more. But we've also got to have a hard ask for certain people to step up and go. Uh, We are a church having conversations with leaders around the world. There could be one out there. I don't know of one. There are more college students who attend this church and call this church home than any church in the nation currently. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, But it's also sobering because it makes you go, we're also accountable for that. And, and, And I'm not one to just like light a fire in a college student and go, don't you wanna like leave behind your career and your major to go spread the gospel in Afghanistan? Like, don't you want, all the parents are like, please don't do that. But I do believe that we're at a formative age and we need to start thinking globally about what we're called to do. Some of you, yes, you, you might be called to be a medical doctor, but God might call you to be a medical doctor in India instead of this side. So we're gonna create networks for you to actually say yes to going because all of us are called to go. Some are called to stay and support, and some are called to physically go, but we have to develop a culture where that's celebrated and where people are trained. The last thing the nations need from the United States of America is immature college students coming over with good news. We got to grow them and develop them, and so we've created some networks that are going to feed into that. One of them is called Launch Global, and you'll hear more about that. I know I'm like promoting so many different things today, but I feel like I have to. All are called to the mission, but all of us are called to start right here in Auburn. So it's one thing to go, I'm passionate about the nations now. Are you really? Because you know we got international students all over that campus. And we have done very, very little. Some people in our church have done a lot, but we've done very little to be intentional about that. And we're going to start to. In fact, there's a couple in our church, Jan and Carter Miles, great last name. Um, They're actually at this gathering, so they're going to love that. They have been setting up their life to live missionally for so long. And I just wanted you to see in real time. I'm, I'm I'm not gonna move overseas, but what would it look like for me, right here, my life, my stuff, in Auburn, Alabama, to participate in the Great Commission, the gospel going out all over the world? What could that possibly look like? We'll put this video on the screen, watch this story.
1: I was on campus asking the Lord, like, where do you want me to serve? And I was literally praying at the corner of Mellon and Roosevelt, and I said, all right, Laura, like, where do you want me to serve? In the Tiger Transit, every person that got off of the Tiger Transit and crossed in front of me was an international student. And it truly was like, the scales fell from my eyes and I said, there they are. That's what I have to do. And so I started researching how to get involved, what Auburn had um, to allow Americans to get involved with international students.
2: Yeah, and at the same time, the Lord started kind of work within me. Um, out of nowhere, I get asked to chair our missions committee. I'm not the guy who's qualified. I was just willing and I will listen to the Spirit if He tells me to do what He tells me to do.
1: So now we open our homes to people from all nations and...
2: Love every minute of it. Mm-hmm. They're wonder- Somehow we become guests in our own home. I don't know how that happens. You throw a party and they're so hospitable, you become a guest in your own home. Uh, became really evident that the Lord will send people to the gospel as much as he will take the gospel and send it to them. Uh, We had an FOI student who said, you know, when um, I first got here, I really didn't believe in God. But after interacting with you and Jan, like I see that God is real and that he has brought us here and brought you guys into our lives. And so that was really impactful, really, really a blessing to hear from Somebody that, you know, that's, just, that's exactly what you want to hear as a servant of the Lord. The Lord wasn't asking us to pick up and go, He was just asking us to open our eyes and see who was here.
1: Our goal is just to show them that they're loved, they're loved. in a different country where they're uncomfortable. So we're here, all of us are here to, to make their experience in Auburn better and for them to feel loved and um, like they're being looked after by family.
0: Come on, can we celebrate that? Okay. Incredible picture of going, God, I'm available with what I have. God is not asking you to feel the weight and responsibility of three billion people. God feels that, and he's sovereign, and he's mobilizing us in our day to do something new and do something different. And I could stand up here and the rest of this gathering go, here's all the ways that we're going to do that, here's all the ways you can get involved, but... I don't believe that this is like a mission Sunday. I believe missions is supposed to be at the center of our culture as a church. And I need you, if you know what it means for Jesus to save you, I need you to consider that there is absolutely no limit to what the God of the universe can do with an available life. I know some of you are going, this is great, we're gonna do this as a church, but really, what difference can I make? And one last time, with a map, I'm gonna show you. Throw that other map up there. I'm going full weatherman today. Okay, here's what you're looking at, y'all, and I promise this is going to pump you up. This is a map of the Greco-Roman world when the Apostle Paul started his ministry. The, the, the yellow, like highlighter yellow, is where Christians were known to be, like believers in Jesus. So this is 45 AD, Paul has just become converted, and he's going to go and get the gospel where he hasn't been named. And he's not the only one. He has friends. The church in Jerusalem exists, but Paul takes the nations out. I want you to look at this second one. This is 20 years later, where there's Christians in the world. Now, I know you see that and you go, wait, didn't he write all those letters in those 20 years? Didn't he like go all over the place and he's traveling? And like, that's awesome that there's that many more Christians in 20 years, but there's still a lot of people who have never heard. Here's the thing though, and he's just one man, but with an available life and the gospel in his mouth. Yes, what happened in 20 years, it was significant, but I wanna show you what happened just a few centuries later. Show that next one. This is 325 AD with the foundation that he set. Never underestimate what God can build over time through an available life. We sing all the time, I hear you call, I am available. That's an echo of Isaiah. When God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us to the ends of the earth? Who will rise up for the king? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. So here we are. And we're not gonna close in worship. Caleb's just up here to make this moment feel more spiritual. We got no more songs to sing because I don't feel like obedience to God today is a song. I feel like obedience to God today is going and making disciples. So I want you to stand up right where you are and I wanna pray for you and we're gonna go and we're gonna live this out straight from here. If you're available and you receive the great commission on your own life, would you just turn your hands toward heaven right now and let's pray. Birmingham, we know you're joined in with us and we know you're interpreting this through your context every step of the way. Same thing with Lake Martin, let's pray. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that what you've given us a glimpse of through your word would lead to supernatural breakthrough moving forward. We don't even know all that you're gonna call us to. We don't even know all the spaces and relationships that are coming from this point, but we know that this gospel is good news and it's gotta go out. And we know that what Jesus has done on our behalf is worth losing everything for. So God, I pray that you look down on this growing, prosperous church in Auburn, Alabama and find us faithful. Whatever it means for you to look down on us and find us faithful, we don't want to be one of those churches in Revelation where you're saying, yeah, you're great at this, but you've neglected the great commission. God, we want to be faithful in your sight. So we entrust this word to you. We entrust our church to you. We give to you whatever it would mean for us to be obedient from here. God, help families to rise up with a global perspective. Help us to care about those who still have never heard your name. Jesus, I thank you that you're faithful to build your church. I thank you that none of this rests on me or anyone in this room. We just get to humbly be a part of it. We love you so much, God. We thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in the months and years to come from one Sunday, from one moment in your presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give God praise for moving in a powerful way today? So good.